1: I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello all spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. As always, I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal, Caught on Camera on Travel Channel, the Mac streaming service, and Discovery Plus. And that's especially appropriate right now because of my guest for this episode, who I'm just like a big fan of and fortunate to call a friend her name is dr lynn s mcneil she's a folklorist and director of graduate studies in the english department at utah state university and her research interests include legend belief fandom and digital culture and she's also the author of the popular textbook folklore rules and the co-editor of slender man is coming creepypasta and contemporary legends on the internet and legend tripping a contemporary legend casebook lynn thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh,
1: We are gathering together today because of Friday the 13th and you know it comes around a couple times a year and it is perhaps the most famous of modern superstitions I I would say but you could disagree with me. But we're going to just talk about some superstitions today and, and what do we even really mean when we say superstitions. So Let's let's dive in with that. From your perspective, what how do you define a superstition?
0: So I define a superstition fairly academically as a short statement of belief that talks about cause and effect. So a superstition is not an entire belief system. It's not a whole story behind anything. It's just really simple, straightforward. If you do this, then this will happen. And that might be an incidental if you do this without meaning to then this might happen or it might be a if you intentionally do this you can cause this to happen and sometimes we even get the and then or unless so if this then that unless this so a lot of people probably have heard if you break a mirror it's bad luck it's not just any bad luck it is very specifically seven years of bad luck Not everyone knows there's an unless on that one, unless you run the broken mirror under running water. So I assume this stemmed from like a natural source, like a spring or a river, but I, no joke, have gone with kitchen sink, water on full blast, pieces of the mirror under there, bad luck averted. Um, I always tell students the reason to study folklore is to learn all the unlesses on the superstitions you grew up with.
1: It's, It's good to exercise those loopholes. to to know the loopholes
0: that's why we get phds is to learn them right i i will add just as a an academic note most folklorists don't use the term superstition though like with all of our terminology we're aware that most everyone else does because superstition is often used to deride someone else's beliefs so, you know, you may be familiar with the idea of like what I know I know, but what you know you only believe. Uh, when we look inside and outside between us and other people, the word superstition is often applied to beliefs perceived to be irrational. Um, so when even we talk about ourselves, we often will laugh at ourselves for tossing salt over our shoulder or, you know turning around three times if a black cat crosses our path and things like that and we'll be like, oh, I'm just being a little, you know, irrational today. And uh, folklorists like to not call people irrational for doing things that are surprisingly rational. It turns out our human ability to to believe in seemingly unrelated cause and effect is largely what kept us around for all of the you know tens of thousands of years that we've been around as a species. So you know yeah. it's a it's a good skill that maybe gets extended into not washing your socks for all of a sports season, but some small price to pay for like species success.
1: I, it, it calls to mind for me, the, um the Steve Carell, uh, Michael Scott um quote from the office that I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. A little stitious. <laughs> yep. It's,
0: it's, we're all just a little stitious. The, oh, the, the famous study that B.F. Skinner did, uh, Superstition in the Pigeon, proved that pigeons can be turned superstitious in like a matter of days. They would uh, dump food unexpectedly on the pigeons and then let the pigeons get hungry again and then observe the pigeons going back and doing whatever weird thing they were doing when the food was unexpectedly dropped upon them. So like one was pecking at a mirror and it would go back to the mirror and be like, is this it? Like, is this what made the food happen? And one was turning to the left. So it would go back and turn to the left again. And it's like, we all have those pigeons inside of us.
1: Is that separate from like a Pavlovian response?
0: You know, it is because Pavlov is repetition, right? Pavlov is I'm building an expectation over time. And superstition is a little bit more, I don't know what word to use, serendipitous, magical, coincidental. We could use any of those, but it's, I was wearing this hat when my team unexpectedly won. I have to wear this hat every time. And then we get confirmation bias, right? Which is where I'm wearing that hat. And every time they win, it proves that the hat is magic. And every time they lose, it's like, I guess the hat wasn't strong enough this week. Um, And so it's less based on legitimate repetition than a Pavlovian response and more based in a little bit of magical thinking. Oh, go on. I mean, what's the difference between magical thinking and magic,
1: really? And it it seems like it goes the other way. I guess this is kind of what you were just saying, that like if my uh, team doesn't win this week, It was because I did not wear those, you know, dirty socks or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or some small element. I mean, really, when we look at the psychology behind superstition, whether in pigeons or in humans, we see a huge, big messaging about controlling the uncontrollable, right? There are things that are out of our control. And we like to imagine we are comforted psychologically and emotionally by the idea that there are things we could actually do Mm -hmm.
1: uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a big one, talk <laughs> a little bit about that. I, I've talked about this before, but not with you, and but this is the first time I'm saying the word out loud. Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. Do say
0: it. Yep, fear of the number thirteen. Yep.
1: So, and then specifically Friday the thirteenth. Um, break that one down for us. The Do you you recall like some of the origins, but also the importance of like, why, why did this one take root?
0: Man. So what Friday the 13th um, is really a doubling down of bad luck because we've got two traditionally bad luck things happening. One is Witch of Friday, which is sad because we love Fridays now, but we didn't always. And the other one, of course, is the number 13. So separately, completely, there is a history of bad luck beliefs about these fridays as a day was considered well friday was the day of the crucifixion of jesus so we have immediately there this negative association with friday but you know biblical scholars have have gone even further and said it was a friday when eve ate the apple and it was a friday when cain murdered abel and all of all of these things happened on fridays that that were negative that were bad and that's not always cross-cultural in a lot of cultures in greece and italy tuesdays Mm -hmm. are bad days a bad day to get married on a bad day to have a baby on um you know you you would never choose a tuesday but fridays in places where christianity has taken root a lot are were considered unlucky days the name friday of course comes from freya the norse goddess so prior to christianity had Largely positive associations, you know, motherhood, love, bounty, things like that. So in keeping with so many things that become superstitions, we see an easy flip sometimes from positive to negative. What we know always, though, is that things are good or bad luck. That's that's a consistent one. the number 13 has a really similarly long history similarly biblical at times we get the last supper that had 12 attendees until of course judas shows up as the 13th mm. um we actually have that story from norse mythology as well that there was a banquet of 12 until loki showed up so it's interesting to think of of judas as the trickster figure of the bible um but that idea that 12 is a base number of course. Is very cross cultural and goes beyond belief and storytelling and into things like mathematics and astrology. And, you know, we number things, we have a dozen of things 12 inches and a foot, 12 hours or 12 minutes. 12 minutes. I'm just making stuff up now 12 minutes. (laughs) Minutes and an hour, 12 hours and a half a day, 12 in time, 12 hours.
1: And yeah, 12, yeah, 12 months a year. The, you know, 12 is... Associated. 12 months in
0: a year. Yeah. That's what I was trying for, Aaron. Thank you.
1: It's, uh, I, I've it's also... Friday. Like,
0: it's Friday. My brain's not working. But
1: That's, not Friday the 13th.
0: Not yeah. yet. It's well, coming.
1: And we have um, the story that I always heard, of course, was Judas as the 13th guest. And yeah, we've got Loki... Although, really, things worked out well for Loki because now he's the hit, you know, part of a hit uh, Marvel TV show. But King Philip um, arresting the Knights Templar on Friday the 13th, 1307. On
0: Friday, and not just Friday the 13th, but Friday, October 13th, which is like a tripling down of the sort of like spooky creepiness because, of course, October is Halloween month, official spooky season, my favorite season. Um so so there, we're not just doubling it, we're tripling it. And so that wasn't even just Friday the 13th. I think it was in the 1300s, the early 1300s when the Yeah, 1307. Of, yeah, by King Philip of France. And we're, I mean, tortured horrendously, put to death, executed. It was bad. So those associations predated that, but that's just like the nail in the coffin for... October, Friday the 13th.
1: When you have uh, things in more recent eras, like, you know, the bombing of Buckingham Palace uh, during World War II, well, recent global in the the big picture, or the death of Tupac Shakur taking place on Friday the 13th, does that just for does that culturally just add fuel to the fire where like, oh, there is something to this?
0: Yes, you know, it's scalable, right? It's the scalable concept in that same way that a personal superstition gets reinforced when it works and sort of ignored when it doesn't. Um, We see that culturally. We see that on a big scale. We have this giant Friday the 13th. And, you know, most people, and this is true for, for a whole lot of folkloric belief, nobody's like, I mean, there are some people, but a lot of people are not like super diehard, like, oh, no. I believe Friday the 13th is absolutely terrible and evil and bad luck, and I won't leave my house. Not most people are doing that, but most people are like, I'm probably going to pick the following week to schedule my wedding, you know, or my dissertation defense or my driver's test. There's like people, there's a real strong drive of no. I mean, I don't really believe it, but I'd rather. Awareness. A you know, like, like that's, we see that with so much. We see that with belief in cryptids and the supernatural. People know that the rational answer, the right answer is no, I don't believe that. But why, why, why take my chances? You know, why, why risk it? And that, it's that that tells us the most about where people are. And as a folklorist, it's one of the reasons I love my discipline because you can't get at that, but, element in like a survey, right? Folklorists, when we do work, we do ethnographic fieldwork. We talk to people. We listen to them explain themselves to us rather than like fill out the survey and I'll tell you all about yourselves. Um, And it's really in that conversational style of research that you get at what people really, the the nuance and the depth of belief in things like superstitions.
1: There's no real if and then with Friday 13th though, is there? It's not like specific-
0: There, there, it's it's just like, if it is Friday, and if it is the 13th day of the month, it is bad luck. And there's no unless. I mean, that's maybe the more relevant thing. There's some good luck actions that we see cross-culturally, strangely, that kind of apply to anything. Turning three times clockwise, turning around three times. We can see a physical embodiment of a reversal there. We can see clockwise, which is a direction we all love. Um, that's generally understood. If a black cat crosses your path, you can turn around three times. You can also spit. Spit is one of the best ways to get rid of bad luck. You can spit in your hand, you can spit on the ground. If someone's given you the evil eye, uh, you can spit on your own hand, you can spit on them, you can spit on their baby. That's a big one. If someone admires a baby too much in a lot of cultures, their mom will kind of discreetly spit on them a little bit. It's kind of seen as offsetting the the inherent negativity of the evil eye attention. Um, So that's what I always recommend to people, you know, spin three times clockwise, spit on the ground, maybe turn your pockets inside out. That's another really big one. That's a great way to not get taken by the fairies and to avert bad luck.
1: Not that Dr. Lynn is saying spit on babies though.
0: Oh no, no, spit on yourself or on the ground. (laughs) Let's let's be conscious of public health endeavors. Also don't spit on, you can spit on your own baby. You, uh, not spit on their own baby because that is a deep belief for some people and you are allowed to spit on your own baby you just can't spit on other people's babies i'm so glad we got to this point so quickly the here do, do we not spit on other people's babies
1: point this is the uh this is a lesson the takeaway for today the you know then we move and and yes again it's worth mentioning that we're paying attention to something like 13 because we're aware of friday at 13 but if if we are on in sp- In Spain on Tuesday, the 13th, we wouldn't be thinking about it. But everybody in Spain might be because that's the bad luck day.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, like there's in in lots of parts of England, white cats are bad luck, not black ones. You know, I mean, we it really is the only consistency among humankind is that we really want some things to be pointedly good luck and pointedly bad luck. And really, I think this speaks to the overall, you know, vagaries of fate in the world there is so much we can't control there are people who appear to have good luck there are people who appear to have bad luck there's certain bad luck that feels more pointed more personal than other bad luck and it gives it this anthropomorphism almost that good luck and bad luck feels personal to us and so it makes sense why this persists you know folklore doesn't persist for no reason. And most people who know Friday the 13th is bad luck don't know about the Knights Templar, don't know about the the crucifixion. They aren't thinking about the goddess Freya. In any way, most contemporary folklore isn't alive today because of its origins. We're intrigued by its origins. We like to learn about its origins, but that's not what keeps it going. What keeps it going is that it is socially and psychologically, perhaps even just practically, important enough that we keep remembering it generation after generation you know community to community we are the ones perpetuating this not the past it's it's us
1: (laughs) well one that uh is is if friday the 13th is like you know just don't leave your house i guess since there's no uh in less or no but then we have like knocking on wood which to my understanding, is actually a fairly recent one that's entered into our awareness, like eighteen hundreds, right?
0: Yeah. So things as like an ameliorative. Yeah, I should have added that. I'm sitting here talking about spitting on your babies. No, just knock on some wood. Um, we see as an ameliorative often, not just to bad luck, but also to bad magic. Magic being a more, more intentional thing than luck. Luck has a sense of sort of like you know fate to it. The, it's not something that we can really be in charge of. Magic is usually quite, quite intentional in, in a lot of ways. That's a very general statement, of course, but we see the use of natural materials in an unadulterated form. So we get things like wood, we get things like salt, we get things like silver, we get things like iron. So stuff that comes out of the world to us in that way, that's the stuff that's going to keep us safe from bad magic bad luck and it's interesting to think about that we often i i see so many people nowadays you know knock on their desk and say knock on wood and then look at their desk and be like is this wood <laughs> like it looks it looks like wood <laughs> maybe it's like a, a veneer i i don't know really um and just the fact that we sort of go through that i'm going to do this traditional thing i'm going to knock on wood and then i'm sort of going to laugh at myself for maybe being a bit irrational and also that nothing is made of wood anymore um we can see how we play with belief when we when we do things like that
1: yeah the the touch wood is actually one that i i do it like it's oh yeah you know and i know that there was the game the piggy touch wood uh in was it england that uh 19th century i think that we uh that that kind of became popular which is why english culture still says touch wood where we're saying knock on wood but (laughs) And then there's still variations about the type of wood, whether it's unpainted or how many times a knock, or if it's a chair without any legs.
0: How many times do you knock?
1: For me, I I'm just literally a you know I touched it. That was good. Touchdown.
0: I have to. I I do twice. It's a knock. It's not just touch it. It's like a knock knock. You know, but yeah. not funky. Three would get excessive, I guess. I don't know. That's interesting. I've never thought about the specifics of how I'm doing that, but no, I also, and when I don't, when there's literally like nothing, obviously natural wood around me, I do like the, which I think is sort of like self-effacing in like that, Oh, wooden headed, you know, whatever it's, I certainly not going to knock on someone else's head (laughs) imply that about them, but that drive, that drive to do something to offset something and and it shows us too the inherent belief in the power of speaking right because we we knock on wood when someone has said what they hope to have happen or what they hope to have not happen and then it's am i manifesting it by speaking it i now have to i have to counteract Mm -hmm. the the power of my speech with the power of this ritual behavior and that is such an inherent thing that we feel and we see that still all the time i mean it's you know we have it going back to not speaking of the fairies never saying calling them the good folk or the old ones um you don't want to say their name except on thursdays actually to put that one the day thursdays the fairies aren't listening you can say anything you want about them because they're just not paying attention on thursdays um but that naming thing, I mean, we saw it played out wonderfully in popular culture with not being able to say Voldemort, right? That 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 idea that we don't name the bad things is so strong in very intelligent, educated, rational people that it's one of the best examples we have that shows us that following superstition isn't about being irrational or uneducated or unintelligent.
1: The you know, when you mention the fairies, I'm I'm thinking about um my mind sh- shifted to stories um uh like fairies, but also hidden folk and these tales about you know don't go too close to the water because that's when you'll get pulled in by this thing. Now that serves a that's a caution cautionary story that serves a purpose. As yep. far as, hey, teaching kids not to go do this thing that might get them killed. But superstitions okay. are not really teaching us that that lesson.
0: No, and that that's a really good distinction to make, because as a folklorist, I would see those sort of cautionary tales as being defined like as a genre by being tales by being stories by being a narrative that leads to a particular behavior or aversion to a behavior so stories of the boogeyman who will get you if you go outside after dark or the water horse who is probably going to come out out of a river at you in scandinavia somewhere um and pull you down under the water or here you know where we live in cache valley utah the bear lake monster who's going to come get you um all of that is something that's gonna stick in a brain, especially a young person's brain that's gonna keep them behaving in an appropriate way, right? And we see that even when we move out of the realm of the supernatural and into the world of crime-based legends, we're reigning in people's behavior. Don't let your kids use a public restroom alone, right? Check under your car before you get in it. Make sure there's no one hiding under there. We These are all cautionary tales about what we think is happening in the world. And it's, even if we don't tell the whole story, Even if we, you know, if we're on the phone with a friend who's walking to their car in an empty parking lot at night and we're like, hey, check under your car. That's not me telling a story, but it's me referencing a shared cultural narrative that we all have of the ankle slasher who's going to be hiding under your car. And so we see in there, yeah, it's a, you know, a short statement of belief. It's that enactment of belief, but it's less about luck. It's less about chance. It's less about taking control of the uncontrollable and more about like a, oh no, this is the situation that happens in our world and you need to be careful.
1: It's a scary world. So check your kid's candy at Halloween, but, you know.
0: Oh man, yep. Uh,
1: I know that's, that's one we talked about before, but the, uh, yeah. you know, there's the the variations. You know, there's Tuesday, the, the 13th or the 17th being bad 17th, luck days or yeah. whatever. But then you have- these total polar opposite superstitions such as the one i'm thinking of is like whistling in the graveyard or just whistling in general sometimes yeah. you can whistle to ward off spirits but sometimes whistling attracts spirits
0: yeah i mean
1: it's you're confusing
0: i mean like in a weird way the vagaries of fate are being well enacted here because it like the luck of the draw, right? Is this the kind of cemetery you want to whistle in, or you don't want to whistle in? Like One of my favorite uh, stories that I found buried in our folklore archive here at USU was the belief that if you're ever being chased um, by zombies from the sea, very specifically, so the, the zombies that are from those who've died at sea, which of mm-hmm. course, by definition, is those who were not buried in consecrated ground. Um, The safest place to go is your local cemetery. So run to the cemetery where you start saying, hey, everybody get up and help me. And don't look back because what you just need to trust is happening is that everyone's getting out of their graves and like fighting the bad ocean zombies on your behalf. And then you just book it out the other end of the cemetery. And I just that stuck in my mind because I was like, huh, like not the place I would go when being chased by the living dead. But. It makes sense, actually.
1: I uh, and yes, I, I have New York City outside saying hello to you. But um, the yeah, that was Scandinavian. Did you say the the, the zombie- water
0: horse specifically as a Scandinavian creature? Okay. Is, yeah, uh, it's gonna come come get you. The knock or the nixie. Um, horses and water have an incredibly yeah. closely related history. And Poseidon is the god of the ocean and the god of horses. Um, which is the creator of the horse. In fact, um. Which I've always just thought was wonderful. But the holder yeah. folk being Scandinavian as well, the hidden people.
1: Yeah, I was I was thinking of like uh the some of the zombies. There's one of the zombie stories, um uh the, the, the water zombies that I think took place on, on later Christmas Eve or Christmas night. So a lot of the holiday connections to it if I recall. Like
0: This is an unexpectedly spooky time.
1: Oh yeah. I love it. I love it for that purpose. The so you have um you, these kind of modern uh, evolution of these stories. Okay. Such as like, I don't know, getting pooped on by a bird is good luck. You know, does, are we counting that in this category?
0: Oh, absolutely. That's one of those incidental ones where you're not in charge of the if, but the then is a, is a strangely positive thing. So, you know, it's not like you're standing around under a bird, like come at me, come at me. You know, I want this to happen, but it's sort of reframing a negative as a positive. If it rains on your wedding day, you're, you're lucky, right? Happy the, the bride, the rain falls on, I guess, happy the corpse, the sun shines on that doesn't make any sense, but yeah. still we, we, we like the idea that something that seems inherently bad might actually be a good thing. And I mean, I think that's, that seems to have like a sort of straightforward, you know, subconscious psychology behind it that, you know, in in contrast to the fact that you have to walk around with bird poop on your shoulder all day something good's going to happen to you as well right
1: silver lining uh situation exactly. look for the, the
0: silver lining theory of superstitions exactly you know yeah. the...
1: or or it just exists in place to allow someone else who's like the smarmy or uh overly <laughs> chipper person to say well that's good luck it turns uh, out, you know, yeah. that's
0: actually a good thing. Yeah. It's it's these things happen just so folklorists have stuff to talk about. I think honestly, it's like, well, actually, did you know? Um, I'm trying to think of other like positive superstitions. If this incidental thing happens, then this it's considered good or good luck.
1: Raining and on I, your wedding day, isn't that one? Like... Yeah, raining
0: on your wedding day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I I know there are others. You know.
1: Yeah, the um, I know there are and I'm trying to think of some of them, but we also have these that like, I guess all of these in in, you know, our, our, our modern times, North America, especially are coming from other cultures, a lot of ancient Roman Celtic ones, uh. but we're also are you seeing sort of what could be adapted into superstitions coming in from indigenous cultures. And I I guess kind of where I'm going is thinking of like using sage to sage in your house to ward off spirits. That's not really superstition, but it's something that we're kind of appropriating from other cultures and saying like, Oh, I'm going to use this magic.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that folklore has always been sort of a free for all of borrowing, trading, sharing ideas. I mean, sometimes when ideas come from a different and so notably different that it's considered competitive belief system it's it's immediately turned away from or rejected but that happens more at the institutional level of belief the the religious sect identification level on the folk level you know it's just a little bit of a a grab bag of like what what all is there which isn't to say that everyone feels that way about their beliefs. There are a lot of people out there kind of saying like, whoa, back off from my, you know, traditional system of belief or my religious belief, you know, and putting it out on social media or something like that. But we absolutely see these sort of growing abilities to share information. The internet has given us this way to access all of these potential you know, magical practices, remedies, spells. And we don't just see that in sort of the traditional good luck, bad luck belief framework. We see that when it comes to health and wellness and skincare and fashion and suddenly the doors are open for people to be able to learn from others who they would never encounter in the course of their their daily lives so the practice of saging a room a space a house for the sake of banishing bad spirits negative energies bad forces that's something that comes directly from native american lore
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that has absolutely it was being appropriated um at the start of the new age movement where we kind of get a and the inception of neo-paganism as a religious practice and things like that, now it exists on a very folk level, almost a, almost a secular level when we start getting into the arena where we stop talking about spirits and start talking about energy. There's an interesting metaphysics of, of how that works that sort of allows the exact same practice, the same ritual to operate on these two different fronts for, for different people. And the, the truth is, That has always happened throughout time and human history. We see religious holidays like Christmas and Easter manifesting in very secular practices that people who do not share in the religious belief Mm -hmm. of those particular cultures um, absolutely engage in, in a way that we would describe looking at it as ritual. So to say that something is ritual or a practice or belief is not to necessarily make claims about its across the board nature meaning mm. is it sacred is it secular is it believed is it not believed um what we can say for sure is that it's being done a lot
1: yeah the sage one is is a is a funny one to me because i'm also like well if you're of european descent you know maybe you should be banging pots and pans in your house to ward off evil yeah. spirits but it's but that's less sexy than using sage you know? I
0: know right there's i mean at least sage burning is vaguely pleasant in yeah. a sensory way where the banging of pots and pans is not but making a racket again bringing out wood bringing out iron silver salt we i mean The Supernatural TV show, I think, was the first to give us the idea of filling a shotgun with rock salt and aiming it at demons, um, which I always wonder, will I be called upon to do that someday? I don't know why I think about that a lot, but I think about it a lot. I have, um, as folk belief and folk religion is one of the things that I'm interested in academically, I have a huge collection in my house of holy water from different sacred springs, springs that often were sacred before... The Catholic Church came around to naming them after one of theirs, um, and I always am just sort of like, "Well, I'm covered on that front. <laughs> I've yeah, got, a whole lot of, got a whole lot of holy water on my bookshelf. So, you and know. I
1: guarantee you, if I'm ever putting together like a a monster hunting team, okay. I mean, maybe the monsters are friendly and don't need to be hunted, but if there's a really bad one, I'm calling on
0: like human monster relations, right? Yeah. Like, And that might turn sour. It might be a positive experience. Yeah. Overall. We don't know. I actually have gifted to me by an amazing past graduate student, um, a vampire hunting kit that has rock salt and garlic and some steaks, uh, and some blessed candles and a bunch of crucifixes <laughs> and a Bible. And, uh, it's in this little like double handled yeah. suitcase. It's incredible.
1: Yeah. Where, what was the, um, because like, a lot of the ones that we see out there are pretty modern creations. And then there's a few that seem older, but would, do you have a date on this one?
0: No, Um, this was actually made by hand by my student.
1: Oh, okay, um, cool. It
0: was made entirely out of artifacts that she found um, back East in antique shops. So it's all cool. either that or it was handmade by her, Um she lined it with red velvet that they pulled out of the attic of a house from the 1700s. So it's just like the whole thing is infused with, you know, all of these incredible qualities. I have no doubt that if the if the bad things come knocking on my office door, I guess it's on campus. That's not really that useful. If my last stand is on campus, I'm set. If it's here, I've got the holy water. You
1: I, know. I, I think you're pitching the show right now. I think you're pitching okay, that we could make it. <laughs> make happen yeah.
0: it's, um, it's, it's all takes place on a university campus
1: i mean look i think we could sell that i mean wednesday yeah. was a big hit and uh but you know you've got all the younger focus monster stuff
0: yeah let i mean like i you know i like to identify who is it from buffy giles you know like that one took place at a school too so it, there's precedent there's
1: precedent yeah I mean, and and honestly, with the salt, you do mention the salt. Like, I don't know if Sup- if Supernatural, the TV show, was the first one to do it. I kind of, there was the comic book, is the comic book, Hellboy, that, the, you know, the character combined a lot of those elements. And yeah. I don't know if he was, he, there's sort of that pop culture amalgamation that takes place with yeah. the lore, the superstition, and then the you know, the fictional judging yep. it up of it all, you know?
0: The judge. I like yeah. that. The folk the discipline of folklore studies has a a term that we have recently adopted, which is the folkloresque, which is um basically stuff that looks like folklore but isn't. It's folkloresque. Um and that might be fictionalized folklore. And that's been around forever. J.R.R. Tolkien, his his characters and their cultures were so believable because he gave them folklore he gave them slang he gave them foodways he gave them their own different stories and customs you know hobbits lived differently than the roharim or something like that um and so we've always had fictionalized folklore and folklorists now we get to call it the folkloresque we get to say this is under our umbrella in our wheelhouse which is exciting and it really is it's when we take a traditional belief that probably has its own totally vibrant life on the vernacular level somewhere, but we're gonna bring it into popular culture, which is going to ask something different of it. And it's gonna need that juge, you know, it's gonna it's going to become more folkloresque than folklore. And that's not bad, that's actually awesome. But as a folklorist, the message that that it is, you know, required of me to get out is that knowing the difference is important. What we don't ever wanna do is watch a movie made about someone's traditional belief system and be like that's it now i get it you know now yeah. i know everything about it every cool thing that we encounter in popular culture that is folklore should be our first step through the door and then we go learn more right it's that's what brought us to the table and now we're going to we're we're going to dive in and find out what else we can learn
1: yeah it's and it's tricky it's like that you know it's w- when i use the phrase uh, paranormal pop culture it's like how the belief of things is influencing the popular culture, the fiction. But then then there's that cyclical thing where the pop culture starts in turn influencing the beliefs. And and then it gets like this mishmash of all of it. And I don't know, it seems like and this is where you come in. It's like it seems like it starts getting very difficult splitting all of that up, especially when we have all these streams of information in, in the Internet age.
0: Yeah, it's difficult. And on one level, it's pretty straightforward. If the drivers of that circulation, sharing, movement, transmission are everyday people, I'm going to call it folklore.
1: And that's just about when the interview with Lynn cut out. There were some gremlins in the machine and found out later that the recording did not process the rest of the very insightful things that Lynn had to say but I love having Lynn on this show she's been on before and and I'm sure she's going to be back probably faster than we know it because she is such an excellent folklorist and as I said director of graduate studies at Utah State University in their English department and you can also catch Lynn and me on the paranormal caught on camera where Pretty honored to be alongside someone that I hold in such high regard. So, hope you learned a little bit about superstitions and and also folklore versus folklore-esque and some other kind of fun topics that we were able to talk about. So that's it for me for this episode of Talking Strange. I'm Aaron Sagers, and until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.